0: When I uh, when I came to be the pastor here, uh, just a couple weeks into uh, um, serving as the pastor in uh, in early 2014, I, I shared with you this scripture from the uh, from the, the prophet Haggai, and the prophet Haggai he 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 asks this question, and it, it's a question uh, that he asks prophetically. God God gives him this word, and he says this. He says, "Ask." Them, Ask the people, who of, you is, who, is, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? Then he says this, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work. I love that and work for i am with you and here's here's what he here's what he goes on to say he says this that the glory of the lord that is coming far exceeds all of the glory to this point but here's what it requires It requires us to be strong in the Lord and work. I want you to turn your Bibles to Exodus, the 20th chapter. This morning we're going to start a series entitled Extreme Makeover. And what we're going to do is this, is we're going to take a look at a very familiar portion of Scripture, and I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that God's going to give you a wonderful new Holy Spirit-inspired perspective on a very familiar portion of Scripture. If you've uh, if you spent much time in church, uh, you're aware of this, this group of statements that God gave through Moses called the Ten Commandments. Anybody familiar with the Ten Commandments? Anybody here, can you quote all Ten Commandments? I'd be more than happy to let you come up on stage. I'll give you your 15 seconds of fame. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so I want to talk to you about these Ten Commandments. And, and, and here's what I want you Here's what I want you to know, that all truth is God's truth, and all truth is timeless. There are some who will say this. They'll say, well, the Ten Commandments, that's the Old Testament. We don't live by the Old Testament. We live by the New Testament. I want you to understand that the Word of God from cover to cover is profitable for you today. And what God gave through Moses, the Ten Commandments, is a powerful platform for life today. And so what we're going to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to break down these Ten Commandments, and we're going to look at them and say, God, what kind of house do you want to build in us? And so it makes sense to start right at the beginning in Exodus 23. God says this in the very first commandment. He said this, you shall have no other gods before me. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would make it a lamp to your, uh, our, our feet, a light into our path. Help us to hide your word in our hearts, O oh God, that we might not sin against you. We thank you and we praise you. In the mighty name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. It was it was early last year that I'm I'm sitting in my office, and all of a sudden I hear this: bang, bang, bang. It's like what? In the world is that. I will tell you, I was convinced that the air conditioning units on the, on the roof, that something was wrong with the air conditioning unit and the air conditioner was going out. I thought, oh my goodness, that, that thing's about to come through the roof. And, uh, and actually it made me a little bit nervous. And I thought, what in the, how, how can it throw a bearing that bad so quickly that it would just be banging on the roof? Because it was, it was kind of shaking my office a little bit. And, uh, and so I, I walked out and, and it wasn't the air conditioning unit. It was this contraption that was, it seemed like it was right outside my door, but it was right out here on I-4, and here's what it was doing. It was driving an H-piling 100 feet into the ground. Bang, bang, bang. 100 feet in the ground, an inch and a half at a time. Yeah, I want you to do the math. I want you to recognize how many times I had to hear bang, bang, bang. It's one of 7,000 pilings along I-4. That's 700,000 feet of piling that has to be banged into the ground. Here's what I know. I'm not the only person in Orlando that has heard that bang, bang, bang. But when you drive on the new I-4, you will be appreciative of every strike because running those pilings down into the ground and making sure this new infrastructure that has a healthy foundation, it's profoundly important. Let me tell you something about the building that you're in. In the mid-1980s, when this worship center was being constructed, you know what the neighbors around here heard? Bang, bang, bang. Because this building that you're in what you, what you probably don't know is this. There's another room beneath you. There's this large space. There's this large vacuum beneath you. It's actually, it's a room that's never been finished. It's got a dirt floor to it. I think it would make a great RC track. Okay. But if you go down there, you can see some of the foundational structure of Calvary. This building was designed to withstand a 225 mile an hour wind. If there was a major hurricane coming through Orlando, there would probably not be a safer place to be than to be here at Calvary. Because this, this place was built strong. It was built to last. And, and that's the reason why it makes sense uh, to renovate it and not to, and not to replace it. In fact, one of the things that we looked at, we looked at when, when we talked about possibly uh, selling the entire Calvary campus and, and relocating and building all new, uh, one of the things that came up was um, how, uh, how cost prohibitive it would be to, to take this building down because of how strongly it was built. There, there's something to be said for having uh, a strong foundation, and and when you have a when you have a strong foundation, you can grow tall. In fact, the stronger the base, the taller the tower. And and what God wants to do in us today is this: is He wants to strengthen our base. He wants to fix our foundation. And and that's when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments really speak to this foundational issue of our connection with God, our understanding of who He is, our posture towards Him. And and what I want to do is just for a few moments this morning, I, I, I I I want to look at that. Because here's what we know, that God wants us to have a strong relationship with Him, and we cannot have a strong relationship with Him if our foundation isn't right. So, so let me talk to you about, about three, uh, three common mistakes that we make in, in this life that God has for us and, and in our connection and our relation with, in relationship with God. And, and, and the first mistake that we make is this, is we make the mistake of misguided priorities. Mis- misguided priorities. We see Exodus 23, it tells us that you, have, you shall have no other gods before me. And, and, and let, me, let me unpack this for you. When, when, in the original Hebrews, when God spoke this to his people, right, and delivered it to Moses to, to deliver it to the children of Israel, God said this, you shall have no other gods before me. That statement before me literally means before my face. And, and, and here's, here's, what, here's what God was responding to. That you have all of these different things that you value above me. You have all these different things that you prioritize over me. You have all these different things that garner your attention and even beg for your allegiance more than me. The the sin against this command, which we are most in danger of, is this. It's It's giving glory to any creature which is due to God only. And and here's what we find happens. Uh, Pride makes a God of ourselves, right? Covetousness makes a a God of of money. Sensuality makes a God of the belly. Whatever is loved, not just loved, whatever is feared, whatever is delighted in, whatever is dependent upon, more than God, we make a God of. Well, let me say that again. It's not just what we delight in. It can also be what we fear. It's it's what we allow in our life to be a priority for us, right? That which we are dedicated to, that which we are controlled by or dominated by, that becomes a, a God to us. And and here's what God says. He says, I don't want that in my sight. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't bring any other gods before my face. And we live a life with this omnipresent God, a God that is everywhere all the time. And he says this, I don't want those gods being presented before me. It's easy, friend, to make the assumption, I don't have any other gods in my life. Here's the, here's the often question that I will ask folks. Let's talk about what, where the pressure area is. Let's talk about the stress area in your life because more often than not, the stress area in your life is an indication of misguided priorities, and anything you put in front of God will be a pressure point for you. It will be an anxiety point for you. Let me give you an example. I, 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 I'm around people often that they have relationships that are a major anxiety point for them. More often than not, that is an indicator that that relationship has greater priority in their life than their relationship with their Heavenly Father. I, I see people who are freaked out over finances, and almost without exception, when I've met someone who is freaked out, stressed out, worried over finances, when we unpack and we talk about God's biblical principles regarding stewardship, they, they go, yeah, I'm not at a place where I can do that. And so what happens is this, is they put their, their, their personal understanding of finance before God's Biblical principles of stewardship, right? And they have this. It's a major pressure point for them. I I I find myself regularly talking with folks who, uh, who who are in a situation where they have to compromise in their job. And the response is, "But pastor, you don't understand. If I don't do this, I will lose my job, and so I'm stuck lying. I'm stuck." cheating. I'm stuck misrepresenting. It's just, it's, it's what I have to do to get by. And anytime we allow there to be any area of our lives where we compromise who God is, or we compromise what we know God's principles to be as true, it's always going to be a pressure point. It's always going to be a stress area. It's always going to be a source of anxiety for us. And so I, I want to I challenge you this morning. I want to challenge us as a body to ask the question, God, what is it that we have put in our life in front of you? Is it, is it the activities of our day? Is it the recreation that we enjoy? And, and, and here's, here's what I know. So God has given us all things to enjoy. I'll tell you what, tell what I, what I enjoy doing uh, when I have a day off. There are a number of things I, I enjoy doing. I, um, so I, I enjoy going to the gym and working out. I, I'm around people that that's a God to them. Uh, I enjoy I had the opportunity yesterday uh, to go to the Citrus Bowl and, and watch um, watch Louisville get destroyed by LSU. And, and that was, it was, it was enjoyable and uh, on many levels. Um, but there are people that there are people that sports are, are a god to them. Um, I'm, a, I'm a gadget guy, okay? I, 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 love, I love gadgets. I love buttons. I, I, love, I love all things electronic. Uh, and so, honestly, a good time for me is just going and looking at what the latest electronic wizardry is, right? It's easy for that to become a god to you. My favorite thing to do is to spend time with my wife and to spend time with my family. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? You know what? That can also become a God to you. Again, relationships, resources, activities, issues of culture. Anything that you put in front of God in your life is a God to you. And here's what the Word of God says you are, to, you, are, you, you are to have no other gods before me. You are to have no other gods that have priority over God. You are to have nothing that has a higher place in your life than God. God says this I don't want it before my face. And so as we, begin a good, as, as we begin a new year, I think, it, I think it, would, it, it would be well for us, it would be a good thing for us on, a, on an individual level to say, God, I thank you that you're not in the condemnation business, but I'm grateful, God, that you're in the conviction business. And God, I ask that you would reveal to me those things in my life that I've placed as a higher priority than you. Those, those things that I have made to be a God. Because what I want to do is this, is I want to start a new year, I want to start a new season with right priorities. Because I understand this, God, that that my relationship with you is the basis for everything. When my relationship with God is right, my vertical relationship, my horizontal relationships work. When, when When I have the right posture with God towards my My resources, you know what I find? I find this, that I don't have to live in the land of not quite enough, where so many people in our culture today live. But instead, I live in a land of abundance. Why? Because my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. When my my relationships are right, there's, there's joy in my interaction with others and not stress and anxiety. And I, when I trust God, that God will, that God will take care of, of my life, that God will take care of my career. I, I had a moment even, I know you guys think that pastors are immune to this sort of stuff, but I had a, I had a, a moment in, in, 19, in 1998, I was serving as the executive pastor of a church, and, and it was time for me to, to go from, from being an executive pastor to stepping into the role of a lead pastor. And uh, we had a, a, a great church that wanted us to come and be their pastor, and, uh, and God, uh, at the last moment, spoke to us and said, that's not the church that I'm sending to you. I- I'm sending you to, I'm sending you to this church over here, which this church ran about 15% of what the, of, of what the, the first church that talked to us, right? And, and the, the first church um, in, in a great neighborhood, uh, great ministries, great history, uh, the, the second church, uh, it... it it, it was going through just a very challenging time, very difficult time. It was a fraction of what it used to be. It had some major doctrinal errors. And, uh, and I, 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 God said, Ed, I've not called you to this church. I've called you to this church. And I said, I don't think so. And I really felt God speak this word to me. He said, do you want to be a Joshua or do you want to, want to be a Jonah? I said, God, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I said, God, I don't want to go to that church. It's career suicide. And he said, do you want a career or do you want to respond to my calling. Can I tell you, it shook me to the core. Because it would have been so easy for me to go, yeah, in in the career track that I want, that church doesn't make sense. Why go to a church of 65 when you can go to a church of 400? It just makes natural sense, doesn't it? But God, God knows what He's doing. And, and even though, I will tell you, even though my career path, my career path uh, has been illogical, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at what God does. Constantly amazed. But it's easy for us to think that, that, that we have to manage those things, that, that we have to control those things. It's easy for us to put our ideals, our relationships, our career, our our resources. It's easy for us to put those things, our activities, to put those things ahead of God. Misguided priorities. We don't just struggle with misguided priorities. We also struggle with with unhealthy passions. Passions of of our own making. So, the, the first commandment, the first commandment tells us who to worship. That we're supposed to worship God and we're supposed to worship God alone. The, the second commandment tells us how to worship. The, the first commandment forbids false God. The second commandment, it forbids false worship. The first commandment tells us that we're to worship the right God. The second commandment says that we are not to worship the right God in the wrong way. Exodus 24 tells us this, it says, you shall not make for yourself a, car- a carved image. See, God says this, he says, it's not your job to describe me or define me. Can I offer you this? It is my belief that one of the big reasons why so many people are comfortable with being unchurched and dechurched. Actually, let me be more specific. I think that the one of the big reasons why so many people are comfortable with being de-churched is this, is because the church has made God into the image that they want, not what God declares that He is. And, and as a result, it's become very easy for people to become disconnected with Him. And also, when they understand that the image that the church wants God to be, that it doesn't meet the need, they become disillusioned. And so, these man-made ideals or these man-made images of God, what it does is it skews and it minimizes our view of God. What what happens is this? Our man made idea it 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 limits our concept of who God is. It, it limits His nature. It limits uh our, our it limits our understanding. It, it limits the concept of who God is, and it also limits our concept of where God is, right? And 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 here's here's the danger in that. Okay, and here, here's what I here's what I want you to what I want you to get today. Okay. The danger in that is found in the the next verse. And here's what he says. Here's what God says in Exodus 25. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, as you look at verse 5, you might be wondering what that means. Let me show you from from an Old Testament story. Okay? We're going to start with this, this king, uh, named Uzziah. In Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen 16, it says this, But after King Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, how, how, did, how did King uh, Uzziah sin? Did he, did he use profane language? No. Did he commit murder? No. Did he, did he commit adultery? No. No, although we know there were kings who did, right? Um, Here's how he sinned. He sinned in his worship. Isn't that interesting? He he sinned uh, in his worship. He burned incense in the temple that only the priests were allowed to do. And so by engaging in inappropriate worship, by determining that his way was better than God's way, he created this ripple effect that went from generation to generation to generation. We, we, see it, we see it happening over and over again in history. We see it happening over and over today. And the church must be careful. Let me say this. The church must be careful that we don't fall into the unhealthy pattern of worshiping program, of worshiping worship, of worshiping personality, of worshiping culture, chasing after trend or holding on to history? Because it's easy to do both, right? It's easy to chase after trends. It would be very easy for me to come up here in an untucked shirt and skinny jeans and think that that's going to help me fit into contemporary culture. I don't look good in skinny jeans, It also, it would be very easy for me to, to walk in here every Sunday in a three-piece suit and us rigidly hold on to cultural issues of the past and chase after imagery that has little to do with God. It's a dangerous thing. We find ourselves in a day and age where so many churches don't have crosses anymore, okay? But here's the opposite extreme of that. The opposite extreme of that is to come in, to come in here on a Sunday morning and happen to see. Now, I will tell you this, that probably 48 of the last 50 weeks we've had a cross on the stage. We don't have a cross on the stage today, and it would be real easy for you to come in and freak out because we don't have a cross on the stage. You know what? Just breathe. Ready? It's okay. I know we don't have a cross on the stage, but let me help you. We do not worship the cross. Let me say that again. We, at the risk of, I'm sure somebody's already offended. It's okay. I love you. God loves you. The, the, here's what the Word of God says. It says that you're supposed to forgive me just as, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. But th- that's not what we worship. I, I understand, I understand the, the symbolism, and I get that. But it's real easy for us to get caught up majoring in the minors and, and, and miss out on, on the wonder of who God is. Uzziah did that. He didn't think it was a big deal for him to go into the temple. And that's what he does. So he goes into the temple and, and he, he thought he had the right to worship God any way he wanted to. So 2 Chronicles 26, we see that it tells us in verse 16 that his pride led to his downfall. But that's not all. Listen to one chapter later, 2 Chronicles 27. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. Well, that sounds good, right? Because Uzziah loved God, wanted to serve God, but he wanted to do it on his terms. And Scripture tells us that his pride led to his downfall. And it tells us this, that Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Look at this. It says this. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. And the people, however, continued their corrupt practices. So so Jotham, not only does he not do what his father did, he he didn't light the incense. He didn't bother going to the temple at all. And he led a corrupt generation. Let's, 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 go, let's go another look at, look at the second generation, Uzziah's grandson, Second Chronicles 27:9. Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. And here's what it, it tells us this. It tells us in Second Chronicles 28 it tells us that he burned his babies to death to a pagan god. Verse 24, Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and took them away. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. What did Ahaz do? He shut the door of the temple so that no one could enter the house of God. It started by... Uzziah worshiping the right God the wrong way. And then it goes from mm, not so much worshiping. Misguided worship, Uzziah, Jothan, neglected worship, Ahaz, corrupted worship. Ahaz's children were the great grandchildren who were killed by the false worship of their father. And it's very easy for us to pass this from one generation to the next. It is time for the church to return to biblically centered worship. We don't we don't define, we don't we don't encapsulate God. It's, it's, it's impossible. And and when we come to understand that, and, and again, I, I'm convinced this is why so many people get so misguided, because they have this idea of, of what they believe God should be like. Can I, can I offer this to you? This is, the reason why, this is the reason why when you leave today, uh, you'll have the opportunity to take with you a one-year chronological Bible. And uh, I know that a number of you uh, may already have this, and if you do, um, you don't necessarily need to take another one. Uh, and some of you, you may want to use an electronic version. I, I happen to use this on a Kindle. Um, and that's pretty, pretty handy as well, and, and um, it's pretty reasonable if, if, you want to, if you want to do that, if you want to get an electronic version. Um, but we wanted, to, we wanted to eliminate every excuse you have. And so we have more than enough Bibles here today to where everyone here can, can walk home with one of these. Um, the, uh, the list price on this Bible is nineteen ninety nine. If you go on Amazon uh, today, you can buy it for $15.12. For you today, free. And so I think that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And here's the reason why. I believe this. I believe it's worth that investment in you. I believe it's worth that investment in your spiritual journey. I believe it's worth that investment in the foundation of your life. Je- yeah. Jesus said this. He said, "Whoever hears." These sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow, but that house does not fall. Why? Because it has a strong foundation. He said, whoever, whoever hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them is like a foolish person who builds their house upon the sand. The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow. It beats against the house and the house falls and great is its fall." What's the difference? The difference is that issue of foundation. Our foundation is on understanding what should be priority in our life, and, and that's God and God alone. It, it's, it's understanding who should be the center of our worship. And it's God and God alone. And, and, and I, don't, I don't have the ability or the authority to define God. He, he gave us a wonderful picture of himself in his word. And, and I want you to I want you to I want you to know the word. Because the simple truth is this: is there, the world is full of people who love to talk theology, and it's it has tragic consequences. And the the result is this: is is we we find ourselves living in a culture where. We're losing sight of who God is. It's it's very easy to it's really easy to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Minimize praise. And that's what God said to us through the words of Moses. Don't This issue of creating things into gods, I I don't want to see that. You're not to have any other gods before me. This habit you have of of saying, this is what worship should look like, this this is how I'm to connect with God, that's not healthy. This, this habit that you have of, of minimizing God in your life and taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. Even that scripture, most, most people, when they, when they look at what God says in Exodus 27, they, they think that means that we're not supposed to use the name of God irreverently that we're not supposed to use it as a, as a curse word. And it means so, so much more. This issue of vanity. Vanity. Do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Vanity, it, 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 it speaks to a A flippant nature. Vanity, it speaks to a a selfish nature. Using the name of God in vain, it speaks of a powerless nature. And it, it misrepresents who God is. I think the biggest reason why the church sees miracles in many of our missions outposts and sees more substantial signs and wonders in the lesser developed areas Is because they simply accept God for who he is instead of trying to make God out into who they want him to be. When I was a youth pastor, I, uh, I had to give a, this pastor from Sri Lanka a ride to, uh, he'd been preaching our church, he's gonna be going to the next church, and, and I was gonna meet the individual from the next church at a halfway point. And I was pastoring the St. Louis area. The next place he was going to was Indianapolis. And so we were going to meet halfway along the road on the interstate. And, um, and uh, as I was uh, taking this pastor, um, I, my assignment was to take him and drive him by and show him the St. Louis Arch and then take him to, um, to, meet, his, to, to meet at the rendezvous point. And, um, and when we were driving along, we were getting close to the arch, he, he went, wow, that's remarkable. He said, what does it do? I said, well, it really doesn't do anything. I said, it's, it's a monument. He goes, oh, that's, that's wonderful. He goes, we have monuments in my country. What's it a monument to? Some great uh, military victory? Some? I said, no, nope. it's a monument to, well, it's really not a monument to anything. It's a westward expansion, I guess. It was just a monument that they did. He goes, oh, it's a monument to nothing then. I said, well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> hmm. Now Now he starts trying to help me. He goes, well, I'm sure it didn't cost very much, did it? I said, no, 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 it was actually quite expensive. And, and now he gets this very concerned look on his face, and he says, Pastor, please tell me no one lost their life in the building of this thing. I said, actually, several people did die in the building of this. And he said, so, he goes, so let me understand that your country spent millions of dollars and lives in a monument to nothing. And I said, that pretty much sums it up. And, uh, and he said this. He said, you know, there are some things about you Americans, not judgmentally, very graciously, he said, there are some things about you Americans I'll never understand. Little while later, we're, we're driving down the interstate, and there's this RV, right? We pass this RV. And he said, wh- now, what is that? I said, that's an RV. And he goes, I don't know what that means. And I said, well, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I should explain better. I go, it's a recreational vehicle. I said, they're on holiday. They're, it's like a home on wheels. And he goes, oh, they live in that, like a, like a gypsy. Uh, He goes, we have those in my country. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, they just use that for vacation. And I said, and based on the size of that and the car they're pulling behind it, they've got a very nice house somewhere else. So he goes, so they have a home on wheels and they have a home that's not on wheels. I said, yes. And he goes, you know, there are some things about you Americans I'll never understand. (laughs) And then we got to the rendezvous point and, and we got out of the car and he he. He, he hugged me, and he embraced me for a long time. And there were tears streaming down his face, and he said this to me, and I'll, I'll never forget this. He said, Pastor, I will pray for you. He goes, your ministry is a hard ministry. Now, I was in a church that had state-of-the-art facilities. Every resource that you would think of that you would need to have effective ministry, we had at that point, Right? And he says this, Pastor, I will pray for you. Your ministry is so much harder than my ministry. 900 people they have in church on a Sunday morning, two cars in the parking lot. They have people that get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to begin the travel to be at church. I guarantee you, in our church, we didn't have somebody that traveled more than 20 minutes. And if it was raining, they weren't coming. If it was snowing, they weren't coming. If it was cloudy, they weren't coming. But he said this, I will pray for you. Your ministry is so much harder than mine. He said, my people understand faith. Your people have no need for faith. He said, your ministry is so much harder than mine. I will pray for you. And and I I think he hit the, the nail on the head. That it's very easy for us to have these misguided priorities, and we put these things in front of God. Oh, we love God. He's just not our first love. We want to serve God, but we don't give Him him first priority. How about this? How about January 1, 2017, this year, that we start saying, God, you're going to have first place in every area of my life. We, uh, we get confused about where what our, what our passions are supposed to be and what worship is supposed to look like. And we'll worship if the music is right, if the moment is right. We don't give a whole lot of thought to whether or not God is right. How about this? How about starting January 1, 2017, we say this, God, I choose to focus on you and I choose to worship you in whatever opportunity and in whatever forum I'm presented, I'm going to be a worshiper. And lastly, God, In 2017, I will not use your name or your identity as a battering ram for my agenda. I will not speak of you irreverently to prove a point. I will not take the name or the authority of God lightly. Instead, I will, I will reverence that name. I will, I will cherish that name, and I will stand on that name. It's an opportunity for a new foundation. It, it's an opportunity for a new start. It's an opportunity of a new beginning, and, and I, I find amazing comfort and confidence in knowing this. But our God doesn't need a new year to start a new beginning. He is a God of new beginnings. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation.